This is Jonathan with The Limitless Mindset, and this podcast is going to be about mindsets, particularly what to think about to go to sleep. And this is going to be a little bit different than all these uh, podcasts that you're probably, and videos and life hacks that you're seeing out there about sleep hacking. You know, people that are talking about the supplements, the sleep masks, the orange tinted sunglasses, the apps, etc. In this podcast, I'll address uh, instead a really common sleep issue that people report, which is that they can't get to sleep because they have all these thoughts running through their head. This is something that uh, I think I think everyone's dealt with this, and some of us deal with it on a uh, weekly, uh, bi-weekly, tri-weekly, or sometimes a nightly basis, and this will help you. I've had a lively mind and an overactive imagination for as long as I can remember, which has led me to lead a life of adventure and novelty seeking, The unfortunate downside to this, though, is that also for almost as long as I can remember, I was on the insomnia spectrum. Getting to sleep has always been a challenge. There's just just always so much to think about, isn't there? As a teenager, I remember wondering, what should I be thinking about to go to sleep? This was before the age when you could find a really helpful answer to that sort of question just by Googling it. Boy, I tell you, recently I've been using the website Quora, and I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the, uh, the level of knowledgeable answers that can be found just by adding a question to that website. Check it out. I would, so when I was a teenager, I would read these different self-help type books that would say that before falling asleep, you should think about what you're going to do the next day or write down a challenge you're dealing with. And this really did not help my sleep as I would then spend hours tossing and turning, worrying about what I was going to do the next day to overcome whatever I was dealing with. It seemed to just increase stress. I had also heard that you may want to repeat a mantra like relax, 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 or that you want to try to self-talk, hypnotize yourself to sleep. So this would be something like, you're going to sleep, Jonathan. You're getting sleepy. You're going to sleep, Jonathan. These really did not work for me. I felt really silly repeating mantras or trying to talk myself into falling asleep and then I would just get frustrated with myself. When I got into entrepreneurship in my early 20s, my mind was constantly formulating business strategies and uh, business plans and marketing strategies and sometimes I would come up with what I thought was a really brilliant business idea at around 11.45 p.m and would think about it for hours and hours, getting more and more excited. Around 5 a.m., I would give up on sleep, just get up, get some coffee, and get to work. 
In my mid-20s, which was about five years ago, my insomnia was as bad as ever, and I actually needed to drink myself to sleep. Not like a half bottle of vodka a night, but I needed like a glass or two or three of red wine to get to sleep. Fast forward to today, and I've almost totally overcame this issue and have more to think about and worry about than ever. It would be an understatement to say that my domain of concerns has expanded in that time, yet I fall asleep consistently without the aid of drugs or booze. I'm very rarely tormented and kept from slumber by my thoughts. So what has changed? Well, I do use some of those sleep hacks, the, this, the same sleep hacks that you hear other gurus talking about. You can just Google it and you'll find them. Uh, they, they really do help, but as a digital nomad, a lot of them don't fit into my lifestyle. I figured out what to think about to actually fall asleep. And the key is non-stimulatory thinking to invent a cool phrase. Write that one down and use it at your next cocktail party. Going to sleep, you really want to think about things that don't excite you. I'll repeat that, it's important. Going to sleep, you want to think about things that don't excite you. Ideally, you actually want to be a little bored, which is a little counterintuitive to modern life. Nowadays, everything about life is trying to make sure that we are constantly amused, entertained, or enraged, right? Uh, it's actually really important. In fact, go on your uh, Facebook news feed right now and uh, just, just, scroll, just scroll down until you find yourself mildly amused, mildly entertained, or enraged, and you really won't have to scroll that far. It's actually really important to spend a little bit of time every day being bored. What are some examples? Meditation. Uh, this is probably the most quintessential example of non-stimulatory thinking uh, is meditation. Either the Vipassana style or the blue sky protocol. And these will clear your mind of thoughts that excite you. Doing 20 minutes of meditation before bed really will imbue tranquility and can be a serious game changer for your sleep life. You may even fall asleep while doing the meditation. That's, that's happened to me. It's a nice way to go to sleep, actually. Uh, next form of non-stimulatory thinking is reminiscing. Uh, a pretty uh, low stimulation thought exercise is to go on a time travel journey through your own personal history. With, uh, your, with reminiscing, as opposed to just letting your mind wander, you want to focus on sequences of related memories, such as apartments or houses that you've lived in. It, it can be actually kind of fun to just go on a mental tour of the places that you've lived uh, in your life and remember the funny little things of uh, the different places you lived. You can think about first dates you've been on. You can think of places you traveled on vacation. You can think of lovers you've had. You can think of favorite articles of clothing you've 
owned. You can, uh, I, I'll think of video games that I used to play, or you can think of jobs that you used to work at. And you'll go through the sequence from your earliest memory to the most recent, and this should be a little monotonous, and this, this will make you fall, get tired and fall asleep. You can also do visualizing of physical actions. In your head, you can practice the moves of some physical exercise you do. It could be a weightlifting technique, martial arts, yoga, or whatever. Personally, I do salsa and Latin dance. So in my head, going to bed, I often practice the Latin dance moves I've learned recently. You can also uh, practice vocabulary. If you've learned a second language, you can think through the vocabulary and grammar that you've learned. You can try to construct phrases or translate uh, song lyrics that have been in your head. Let's talk about audio enablers of slumber. You may find that your mind just keeps defaulting back to a more high valence mode of thinking. You'll find that your inner dialogue beats you up about your bad decisions and grapples with the challenges that you face tomorrow while you're trying to go to sleep. What works really well for me is to listen to a podcast or audiobook about some subjects that is just not very stimulating. Uh, in particular, I'll give you some, some links that you may want to check out in the article that is linked to this podcast. Stefan Molyneux's Free Domain Radio. This is about kind of viewing society, culture, and current events through the lens of empirical philosophy. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, which is really thorough storytelling and analysis of major historical events. And both of these guys have kind of soothing voices and a melodic cadence that will talk you to sleep. I would not listen to a podcast that had like a lot of audio effects, jokes, or entertainment value while trying to go to sleep. There's these audio tracks of really soothing music that some uh, that, that helps some to get to sleep also. Listening to podcasts or audiobooks has always worked better for me though. For some reason the, you know, listening consuming content in this really, really passive way allows for my mind to slow down. Also mention there's a tool that I really like, use it almost daily, called Brain FM. And they have algorithmic music and they have uh, algorithmic music, music that is ostensibly programmed to put you to sleep. And I've used it a couple times and you know, I, I didn't find that it was like a, a super sleep hack, but I think, I think it did help a bit. So let's talk about the power of non-stimulatory thinking. So I'm reading this autobiographical book by this Finnish engineer who invented the smartphone in the early 2000s. Well, actually, I, just, I finished the book. Uh, I just finished it. One of the things that I found interesting is that right from its inception, the smartphone was intended to be a drug. So the establishment engineers at Nokia in Finland thought that mobile phones should just be a convenient tool to make phone calls. But this young inventor, Johannes Vanenan, 
imagined this engrossing, compelling, and even addictive experience that could be provided by a device the size of your hand. Perhaps you're holding that device in your hand right now. Buddhism has, for thousands of years, sought to banish suffering from the world. And it would seem that it has a long ways to go in this endeavor, doesn't it? Boy, when you look at the news. But Johanna's invention has nearly banished boredom from the world in just a little bit more than, uh, than a decade. That's, that's something else. Talk about changing the world. We may still use the word boredom, but we actually use it now to describe the opposite state of mind from boredom. We'll spend 30 minutes or an hour or more jumping between applications, reading the news, sending an SMS to a friend, browsing Twitter, and watching a funny video. We are so stimulated that we can't hold our attention on one thing for more than a few minutes. You may be thinking, I'm not addicted to my smartphone the same way that a junkie needs cocaine or Oxycontin, though. Perhaps you remember the scene from the movie Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise where he gets into this crazy secret society ritual orgy. If you ever wanted to go to a party like that, you would want to find a no-phone swingers party. Trust me, I've been to them. Uh, the first time I went to such a party was a few years ago in Medellin, Colombia, an amigo and some friends I knew invited me to this secret bar. I took a taxi to an address and I had to knock on an unmarked black door on a deserted street to enter. And I was then informed that I would be leaving my clothes and phone in a locker. I paid the cover, was given a towel and directed to a hot tub. And that night easily ranks in my top five most hedonistic experiences. But there was some undeniably acute separation anxiety from not having my phone. I know you may be saying, Jonathan, you wimp, but uh, trust me, if, if you were in that experience, you'd, ex you'd, you'd experience a, a bit of the acute separation anxiety also with your technology. You may not be into swingers parties, but it's worthwhile to try going to a social event without your smartphone, or maybe you could organize your own no phone party, clothing optional perhaps. Uh, and you'll experience that there's kind of an anxiety curve to being smartphone-less. At first, it doesn't feel right. You'll keep reaching for your pockets. You'll fidget a little bit more, needing to give your hands something to do. I imagine that it's not all that different from someone who needs a bit of heroin daily to function. You are likely highly stimulated all day every day, if not by your work, study, or family, then by your computers, smartphone, or television. It's important to spend a little bit of time every day being bored. I'll repeat that again, it's important. It's important to spend a little bit of time every day being bored. It's important to include some non-stimulatory thinking in your day. 
What are the benefits of this? It will, first of all, allow your mind to follow a thread of thought for more than 30 seconds in what's become our default state of browser tabs, notifications, apps, and videos competing for our attention. It's difficult to think thoroughly about a single topic until we reach our conclusion or decision. And this gets better the, the more time that you spend bored. If you spend a little bit of time every day bored, it turns down the volume of mental static, which allows your default network to deliver up creative solutions to problems to your conscious mind. It allows you to transform information into knowledge, to take the things you hear and see and integrate them into a holistic understanding of the world and your place in it. Non-stimulatory thinking can be a game changer for your sleep. If you suffer from insomnia because your thoughts run relentlessly through your head as soon as the lights go out, you're doing too much stimulatory thinking before bed. Okay, so at this point you're probably saying, all right, so how is non-stimulatory thinking done practically? You gave the meditation example. Maybe you already do meditation. Maybe you're you're maybe maybe you do your meditation in the morning or the afternoon, like me. And you're like, okay, how should I uh, integrate more non-stimulatory thinking? So I live downtown, and at the end of my workday, or sometimes at noon, I'll just walk around for ten minutes, taking in the sights and the sounds of the city. Boy, I wish I lived in nature. That that'd be even better. Envious of those of you who do. Uh, reading intentionally and thoroughly. This is the opposite of browsing a Twitter hashtag about the most recent terrorist attack. Uh, I try to spend like 30 minutes a day reading something dense with the intention of understanding a deeper nuance as opposed to just being amused. So usually this is a nonfiction book about technology, science, history, or philosophy. And I spend approximately 25% of my workday listening to zero content music, either the lyric-free algorithmic music of Brain FM, which I mentioned, or classical music. Next to smart drugs, this is probably my best biohack for focusing on a project for hours at a time. Next, uh, for many, doing exercise, lifting weights, or doing yoga alone in silence doubles as a beneficial mindfulness practice. Journaling the old-fashioned way with a pen and paper focuses your problem-solving and introspective powers on the important things in your life. Uh, check out my recent video uh, review of the Tools of Titans book where Tim Ferriss is talking about the morning pages practice. That's a great example of non-stimulatory thinking. If you're a guy, you can do tantric self-cultivation. I'll link to that. If you're one half of a couple, you can do orgasmic meditation with your partner. Perhaps you do meditation daily, and that's a really good habit. Good for you. Uh, Although meditation is often focused on either the body or it's focused on keeping the mind clear of thoughts. And 
while that kind of fits under the umbrella of uh, non-stimulatory thinking, there's a lot of there's a lot of other options. There's some there's some some options out there that are uh, you know perhaps a bit more entertaining and productive. The the non-fiction reading that I mentioned. I said earlier that it's important to spend a little bit of time every day being bored. And most people are totally stimulated from dusk till dawn every day. I'll challenge you to try to spend 30 to 60 minutes a day being bored, usually at the end of the day, and see how it improves your mood, focus, and productivity the next day. I've noticed a marked difference between A is like if I turn off my internet connection, read for 30 to 60 minutes while having a tea, then stretch for about 15 minutes and then go to bed. I've noticed a big difference between that and if I spend an hour or two uh, before going to sleep watching YouTube videos or reading articles about crazy things going on in the world, using Twitter and messaging friends. And the former just about guarantees that I'll start my day right, make better decisions, and allocate my time better. With the latter, I find that the next day upon awakening, my attention is really fractured, my discipline is poor, and I'm not nearly as productive as I could be. It's not true that a night of sleep is a fresh reset of your mood and attention. I'll say that again, it's also important. I know, I know I've repeated myself, but it's really important. It's not true that a night of sleep is a fresh reset of your mood and attention. How you spend the very end of your day definitely has an effect on the beginning of the next. Try being a little more disciplined about the last 45 to 90 minutes of the day and you'll see this for yourself. I mentioned Cora earlier. There was a question that I answered there and I'll share my answer with you. So some guy asked, is spacing out a lot bad for you? If so, how do I stop? And to expand, he said, I space out hard almost every two hours. I start to think deeply about my life and other things that have nothing to do with the task beforehand. I think that this is the reason why I'm introverted and procrastinating often. And I responded saying, it actually depends on how you are spacing out. So taking a little break every two hours is a pretty good idea. Spacing out can be a highly effective tactic of productive people because the cognitive downtime allows your default network to deliver up some solutions to whatever problems you're working on. If you're looking at your smartphone, watching TV, browsing the internet, or really worrying about things, then you're not really spacing out though. That, that doesn't count as spacing out. So I'll give, for example, uh, every morning I spend usually a couple hours writing at a cafe and then maybe 30 minutes reading some dense book or uh, other reading material. And it's uh, quite mentally demanding several hours. Then I will go walk through the city and for about 10 minutes I just sit and watch this 
water fountain. I don't look at my phone or listen to podcasts or think about anything in particular. I try to just enjoy the fountain and the sunlight for about 15 minutes. And as I walk home, all sorts of genius, more or less, bubbles up out of my subconscious. In fact, a lot of times I'll just be there uh, checking out the checking out the park, checking out the water fountain, and I'll just wait until some some ideas, some solutions to whatever I'm dealing with uh, appear, and then I'll take that as my sign to move on with my day. The bottom line is that if you're spacing out properly, it will be immediately followed by productivity. If spacing out causes procrastination and depletes your willpower, then you're doing it wrong and should educate yourself about a mindfulness practice. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.